Congratulations to all the Springbok fans. Hey, it was great last night watching the rugby. Yes, I watched the rugby, and I know what happened. It was tense, man. I'm like, I can't, I can't watch that every week. I mean, I was, I felt at some points that I was so tense. Because I was, and I was always tense, leaning in the direction we were running. I was like, anybody do that? You're like, yeah, 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 that's me. It's the same when I play uh, when I play video games and I play like racing games. I'm like turning into corners. Or, like I'm so immersed. But it's a uh, what a what a what a time uh, to celebrate uh, the sport that seems to get so much attention and even if for a moment can bring people together. Hey, isn't that amazing? Um, today we're going to be sharing uh, and leaning into uh, the vision that we have as a church, what God has been impressing on our heart. Um, my name is Swen, and it's a privilege to, to lead our church with so many amazing people. None of this could ha- could work or happen without the team that makes it possible, and so we're so grateful to them. And I'm so grateful that you would come here on, on Saturday. I was, I mean, Sunday morning, I was seriously thinking, how many sunglasses are we going to see? And not even one, you know, in front of the eyes. That's great. I can't see on the balcony, so they could all be up there. But uh, welcome to you guys up there. And Man, I'm looking forward to, to, to all that God has got for us. So I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Father, I thank you that we, we have the privilege of coming into your house. Father, we want to exalt your name. Father, we want to follow your son, Jesus. We want to give our lives over to you. And Father, I recognize that there are people today who maybe don't have a relationship with you. But Lord, I pray that you would impress upon each of our hearts today your love, your glory, your wonder, and your invitation. Lord, I pray that we who believe and we who are here for you, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lay upon our hearts the way that we are to live as a result of your goodness and glory. Oh, Lord, I pray that I submit this word to you. And I pray, God, that, hey, just good thoughts and opinions would fall by the wayside, but your word would find its way into our heart, carried along by the Spirit, plant a seed in our heart that would produce an incredible harvest of righteousness in our lives. Oh Lord, we want your will to be done, your vision to be realized. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Man, so we are today diving into this uh, Vision Sunday because, you know, when you get to the end of the year, it's so easy just to get a little bit like squirrely, you know, like there's so much happening in my life. There's so much happening. And, and those are all good things. And it's important, you know, we're getting to year end and we've got to get everything done before Christmas holidays and stuff. And November seems to be an insane time because there's oh, so many parties, including a dream team party. Hey, there ain't no party like a dream team party because a dream team party pop. Anyway, uh, that's uh, for our team that serves. We're going to have a great party in November. But um, And we also got like amazing things lined up as a church. We've got a, a Christmas carols event happening on the 3rd of December. We've got a Christmas service that's happening in December. And, you know, we can almost just like run and never actually look up and think, okay, Lord, what are you leaning and speaking? And, and so we don't want to start the new year. Can you believe I'm really talking about the new year? Come on, somebody slap me. The new year, we don't want to start off like, oh, okay, yawn, let's get into the year. And No, we want to start the year off with a bang and so really centered around Jesus. And in the new year, we're going to be running a, uh, a Bible reading plan for everybody in our church. We're going to go through the New Testament in one year. Uh, we're going to have 
free versions available if you like to download it onto your phone. Otherwise, we're going to print out some actual journals that you can write in and follow along in, and you can purchase those. And um, unless somebody wants to purchase it, one for everyone and sponsor it, but that's, I'm just putting it out there, you know. Um, I better not say any more because I'll end up sponsoring it and my wife's going to look at me and go, what are you doing again? Like, stop spending our money. Any spenders in the house? Okay, if there are only five, you are all liars and we are talking a different sermon today. Any savers in the house? Yeah, that's more realistic. Even in this group, there's five spenders and three savers. Thank you to those of you who save. Um, back on to the point. And so we're going to be doing that in next year. And so there's a lot of things that we want to lean into, but we don't want to miss what God is doing and what God is leading us into. And so we've got to come back to why it is that we believe. Why it is that we follow this this um, biblical character who was a carpenter's son, but he was born of God through Mary. Came. In, why do we follow somebody who lived for 30 odd years? Why is it? What, what did he come to do? What, what, why is our lives centered around this one figure in history? Why is it that we, we come around the idea and the revelation of a man named Jesus Christ, who is the God man, who is in fact God born in the earth, God with Man with um, a God with flesh and bone on who taught us how. Why do we follow him? Why do we make our lives all about him? Because you've got to make no mistake, there is no way to follow Jesus casually. It is not Jesus and, it's Jesus or nothing. I want you to hear that today because a lot of us can have mark off Christianity on the census report whenever it comes around. But if, unless we are devoting and following our lives, following his life with our lives, are we really following? It's just when, like, listen, I'm just, I'm just, that's a bit, no, it's, Jesus gave us no other option. To those who don't believe, it's an invitation. But to those who have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he says, lay down your life and follow me. But why do we do that? Why do we, why do we give our everything to follow him? Because the world was lost in sin. Because he, is, he came from God and he came to reconcile all living creatures to himself. He came and he put skin and bone on. He came, prophesied for thousands of years. He came and when he arrived, he was declaring a kingdom that would come where the forgiveness of sin would take place. You see, God knows that we are spiritually poor and bankrupt without him. Is there any way to please God other than God saving you? It's not rhetorical. I mean, it's a yes or no. There is no way. And instead, what, what humanity has done is we have tried to form all sorts of ways to getting with God because we, we understand that there's eternity that's been set in our heart. There's, we, we know that there is something else. We know that there's something bigger. We know that there's something more. We know that there's a reason. There's a purpose. It's innate in every person. And we all hold on to certain beliefs that are going to answer that question. Whether you're an atheist, you're, having this, you're putting all your chips onto the fact that, hey, 
After this, there's nothing. That's a huge bet to make. That's a huge step of faith. Even if I just rationalize it, I'd rather go all in with Jesus than be wrong. Then go all in without Jesus and be right or be wrong. You see, when Jesus came, he brought a kingdom that was all about the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins separate us from God. A rebellion against God. It is our sins that separate us from God. And the Bible teaches that the wages of, so the, the result, the fruit, the, the payment of our sin is eternal destruction and, a, and, a, and an abandonment of God. And Jesus came to make all that right. He came into the world, and what did he do? He didn't set up a kingdom where he was a military leader smashing all of his foes like they were expecting. He came as another kind of king, a king leading in a kingdom that would introduce and reconcile us to God. That though we were far, though we were lost, though we were living in all kinds of sin, the love of God would reach us where we are to bring us into a relationship with the Father of of, of all. The, the Father in heaven, and to bring us and usher us into a family where we would have love, we would have eternal life. And it's not as a result of our good works. It's not because you were born at a certain time or place or to a particular family. It was because He loved you that He gave grace to us. And so Jesus came to bring this world-changing, upside-down kind of kingdom and he would usher this in. When Jesus came, he came proclaiming good news. And so church, we are not here together today to, to, to worship a God who's just saying, beware of hell and run from hell. No, we're worshiping a God who says, I've given you grace. I've given you life. I've given you abundance. I've given you a relationship. Come to me. We're not escaping something. We're running towards something, towards someone. And so Jesus came to bring us what we could never afford. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus is about finding ones. You know, like when we think about church, we think about gathering lots of people. We think about building the church. We think about, hey, we've got to proclaim to the masses and, and all that. And, and that's, that's good and fair. And Jesus did that. But Jesus was all about one person. And many ones make many. And we must not forget that what we have come is that he has come to set the captives free. To proclaim liberty, the year of the Lord's favor for each person with breath in their lungs. And what I love about Jesus, which is incredibly challenging to me, is that Jesus would go out of his way for the one. When we look in uh, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to spend a bit of time in Matthew, we see where uh, Jesus is calling this guy, Matthew, who actually penned this, this gospel. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Such a powerful text because what we see here is that Jesus was willing to break societal customs and norms in order to bring the grace of God to someone who was lost. You see, we, we know in Jesus' day that a tax collector is not just, is not the same tax collectors that we have today. And we love tax collectors, amen? We, we love paying taxes so that we can drive on good roads and You know, realize this, the more taxes you pay, the more money you earn. I'd rather pay lots of taxes and earn more money than pay no taxes and earn no money. It's a different way of looking at it. No? Some people are like, yeah, no. Uh-uh. Okay. But you find in, in Jesus' day, the tax collector was someone who was sneered at. He was seen as a betrayer. He was seen as someone who was like lower than the low. It was an outcast in Jewish society because they themselves were Jews who were aligning to their Roman oppressors to exact taxes out of their own people and very often were found to exact more than what was needed so they could live a profitable lifestyle. Like if people don't like you, you don't like them and you take their money. Am I right? No? We're just so giving and generous and loving. We just And so they were hated. Hated. And now these Pharisees, they come to the house, they see what? Jesus is sitting down with the sinners and the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, with the drug dealers. And he sat down and had a meal with them. What on earth is, you're no holy man. And what I love about it is that Jesus would go out of his way to find those who everybody else discards in society. Those that have turned their backs on God. Those that have turned their backs on their own people. Those who are ostracized. And he would do the most intimate thing you could do in a, in, a, in, a, in a human relationship outside of marriage is to sit down and eat with them. Because when you sit down, you're committed, right? You're committed. When you're standing, you have a passing conversation. Hey, when, you sit, when you're standing, you're talking to someone, you're like, oh, shoot, look at the time. My roast is in the oven. Or when you're in the shopping center and you see someone from church and you really don't want to talk, so you just make an excuse that you have to rush off to the next thing. I'm guilty. But when you sit down, you can't get away. You're, you're, you're committed. And what Jesus is willing to do is he sits down at a table with a tax collector and his friends. And he says, 
I love, like, I, I, I'm extending hospitality to you. I'm extending an invite to you. And what we find is that the Pharisees come along, the religious elite, the pastors of their generation, the people who knew the scriptures and devoted themselves completely to following the ways and the laws of God. Those who felt entitled to be God's people, those who were entitled to be righteous and holy because of the seed of Abraham, those who walked around and people knew they were. And we find these people scoffing at those at the table and Jesus and going, why do you eat with these people? It's almost as if they were so entitled that they missed the heart of God because Jesus said, what I desire is not a life of sacrifice, but a life of mercy, a life of compassion, a life that can connect with the lost. I wonder today in our congregation, how many of us sit at tables with those that we would normally despise? I wonder if, if maybe we, 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 we're so used to following Jesus and getting into our religious gatherings and living the life that we, we were supposed to be living and all these goals that we have in life that we, we kind of we see the table and we move on from the table. Why do I bring this? It's because you know what? When I look at my own life, I don't sit at those tables anymore. And that bothers me. It bothers me that I'm so busy that I'm not sitting with the tax collectors and sinners. Where I'm not engaging and communing and, and bringing relationship with the whole point of pointing people to Jesus. As if someday when God meets me in heaven, he says, well done, I'm so glad you preached the gospel every Sunday. And some people put their hand up. Why I say this is because I, I, I fear for us, church. I fear for the people of God when we don't find ourselves at tables, but we find ourselves looking at people and saying all that they've done wrong, that we have the sense of entitlement because we put Christian on our thing and we got a Bible that we read every now and then and, and we go to church once a month and we act like good Christians and we're polite and nice and but our hearts don't move to the people around the table anymore. Do you know why? Because we have forgotten that we too were sitting at the table at one point when Jesus found us. We were there, lost and abandoned and forgotten. We were in a life of sin when Jesus came to meet us in our moment of weakness, in our moment of darkness, lost and afraid. And yet Jesus came to you where you were at when you were at school, when you were at work, when you were at your lowest point, when you were in darkness and he came and sat with you and people joined you at the table. Jesus cares about ones. We find out a little bit later when, when, when Jesus is now talking to his disciples and, and he teaches this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35. He says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had 
compassion on them. Because these people heard the rumors of Jesus. They'd seen the miracles of Jesus. And what they knew in their day was this was outrageous. Nobody did what Jesus did on the earth. The countless miracles. He wasn't with the religious elite that distanced themselves from those who weren't worthy. Jesus went to the people who were not worthy. Because all aren't worthy. All fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And so Jesus, when he saw them, he had compassion. And compassion isn't, oh, shame. Those poor New Zealanders. (laughs) Big hearts, small island. No, compassion is when, when you're disturbed enough to do something about it. Compassion leads us to generosity because we see what's happening and we move towards it. We don't walk past it because we don't want it to be our problem. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion. And so Jesus said this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's mind-blowing because how, we're praying for our family members to, be, to become Christians, right? To find Christ. Because it's God's will that everyone finds the knowledge of Jesus, the saving power of Jesus. And so we pray for our family members. We pray for our schools. We're, we're praying for the country and all of that. And those are all good things. But Jesus never said, pray for the harvest. He said, pray for workers. Because the harvest is already there. How do I know that? Because surely in our city we know enough people who don't know Jesus. And some are ready to hear the gospel. Some are ready to hear good news. Some are ready to not be pointed. Hey, you sinner. No. Hey, we all fall short of the glory of God. But God has extended peace to you through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you come along? There is a harvest. And Jesus wants us to be aware that there's a harvest. It's plentiful. There's many people in our city who don't know Jesus. There's many people in our relationship circles who don't know Jesus. And he says, rather pray for workers. Rather be the fulfillment of your prayers. Are you praying for your family members? Be the fulfillment to carry the good news to your family members. I'm sorry, I've got to hear more than y'all, like... I know this is the processing moment. Could I say this to you? All of heaven's resources are at your disposal. What God is looking for is people who are willing to get their hands dirty in the harvest. So he's looking for workers. And then we see Jesus send them out two by two in Matthew chapter 10. It says, he gathered his 12 uh, and Jesus sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go amongst the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, because that was their first mandate. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I love it. Jesus didn't go, I want you to go out into the world. And I want you to tell everybody how bad they are. I want you to criticize and condemn. 
and bring bad news so that people will feel guilty and then follow me. What he said was, go and preach. The kingdom is near. So what we have in the church is a message. We have a message. We don't have a lifestyle. We have a message. A message to proclaim a kingdom. A kingdom that was coming and has now come because Jesus has come. A message that is the best news. The message that is proclaimed is good news. Freedom from our sin. Freedom from our spiritual poverty. We have reconciliation and peace with God. No longer are we on the outside, but we can be on the inside. We have this message that changes lives, that transforms people, that turns things upside down. Paul says in Romans, it is the, this message that is the power of God. He gave them a message and gave them authority to show the power of the kingdom. Go out and do this kind of work. Do I think we should have more miracles? Yes, please God, bring them. But notice what came first, the proclamation of the kingdom, then the miracles. If we keep coming to church wanting our miracle, I don't know if that's what Jesus quite intended. I think what Jesus intended was that we already have the miracle, abundant life in Christ. So let's go out and share that with other people. And along the way, some people may get healed and set free. The proclamation of the kingdom. Are you guys okay with me so far? Good, good, good. Freely you have been given, so freely receive. Who here paid to become a Christian? Any hands? Anyone brave enough? Any, anyone here risk, like pay or lay their life down in order to receive grace from God when they didn't deserve it? Anybody here pay in order to receive the promises of God? What is it? Freely we've been given. So why do we decide that no longer are we going to sit at tables with those who are lost? Why are we deciding, well, we've been given so much and we're going to hold on to what we've got? Rather than giving as freely as we've received. Before you see me cry once in my life, let's move on. That was a joke to ease the tension. <laughs> Jesus later commands just before he goes to heaven, he gives this commission to all his believers, in, but especially those who were following him at the time. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know that this command was not given to pastors, preachers, and evangelists. It wasn't given to prophets and teachers. It was given to accountants. It was given to primary school teachers, 
stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, was given to musicians. If you have breath in your lungs as a follower of Jesus, he has given this to us. And it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. Freely we have received, freely we ought to give. The message that we have received from God is good news. It is good news. It is grace upon grace upon grace. I don't even, I'm not even aware of how, I mean, do you know how bad I am? But Jesus saw something in me. He saw me as his child and he said, hey, I don't have one of you. I want one of you. And I'm like, amen. And he says, okay, now that you believe, go where you're going and make disciples. So go with an intention. Sit around tables with the express desire to love people, to serve people, and to point them in the direction of the only one who can really heal them. And that's Jesus. That takes huge courage. But the Spirit of God is inside of each and every one of us. The last scripture I'll share with you is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus told them to proclaim a message. Then he gave them authority by the Holy Spirit to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. To be his witness in, his, in the city they were in, in the region they were living. To those who were outcasts and rejected by Jewish society, those that we don't get along with, and those across other borders. The Holy Spirit has been given to the church to be witnesses of Jesus where we go. Hey, this Cape Town is your Jerusalem. Maybe your workplace is your Samaria, but hey! You've been given a mandate and you've been given power. What do you, 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 do you need a three-year theological degree in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus? No! What you need is already in your hand and within you. If you have the scriptures, the word of God and his spirit within you, you have everything you need. Tough crowd. Everything you need to follow Jesus and to proclaim him in this life. Our church, we are called for revival in our city. We're called to help people find life and purpose through Jesus. We're not called for religious gatherings. We're not called to try and build the biggest gathering in the city. We are called to bring the kingdom of God, to proclaim the name of Jesus so that people find life in Jesus and then to teach them to follow him so that they would have purpose through Jesus. We are called to release his kingdom in our city like a river that flows. And you know what? This past year has been a phenomenal year in our church. Revived Church is over a year old now. What? I still can't believe it. I'm like, time has flown. And in this year, we've seen 47 people get baptized. 
Another six people today after the service. That's incredible. We've seen uh, 230 people connected into a life group where they want to learn how to follow Jesus together. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes you might not like all the people there, but you love them anyway. We've, we've seen two, over 250 people attend our pathway courses, which is like teaching them how to be a disciple and how to actually engage with God and, and how to, to use what God has given to them in order to be a blessing to others around them. This journey of discipleship. And so we've taken time to become as healthy as possible as a church. We have slowed everything down so that we can make disciples who love Jesus, who are actually, when I meet Jesus face to face, I can say, I did, we did our best to make healthy disciples. People who love Jesus. We, and so we've also got, I think it's 130 people who, who are on this journey of serving God in our church, on various teams in our church. And so this year, we've laid this massive foundation. And it's been amazing. But God's calling us to move. It's like this vision that I've had of this river that flows throughout our city, a river that brings life. You are a life-giving source wherever you go. And I got this, uh, we're just like, it's time to move is what, the, what we feel like the Lord is saying to us. And so a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we were, um, we went on a, like a, a family holiday, like a week. We took a, we hired out an Airbnb in Kloofnek. I think it was Kloofnek and it was amazing. Okay. I love town. I love this. I love the vibe. If I went to town, I'd probably become a hippie. But I think hippie preaching could, could do well. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I digress. So we, moved to, we went to town for a week, and we, we spent some time there, and we, we kept on getting the sense that God wants us to pray. So we prayed, we prayed. We went up to Signal Hill. We went to go pray over the city. Now I was thinking, we're going to pray over the city. But when we got onto Signal Hill, we realized, look at how many people live in the city bowl. Look at how many people are living in this area. When you go to this, when you drive past the city on your way to the waterfront, thank you very much, all you see is the, the work buildings. But when you go up and you take time to see how many people are living there, you go, Oh my goodness, Jesus, can we, can, can, do you want, we pray, and we were sort of praying for the, the community, and actually after that, we set up interest nights and prayer nights for our city. And fast forward a couple of years later, that sense of, of doing something in the city never, was never removed from us. We kept on praying. We was like, someone else is going to do it. We'll be a part of it. Like, no problem. That's cool. We, we, but this desire of church planning has always been in, inside of us. And so, what happens was a couple of, fast forward a couple of years, we go back to the city and we go pray on top of Signal Hill again. And we're looking and we're praying for homes. And God gives me a vision to see people across this area come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as we're proclaiming the gospel, who are making disciples. And we get the scripture that is, um, that God is going to open a door that no man can shut. And we're just like, Lord, how do we do this? What are we going to do? How, like we, we, we see a need. We see an urgency. We know that, that Jesus is coming again soon. How, how can we be urgent in proclaiming the gospel? We have an amazing church. We love our gatherings. But I think it's time we sat around new tables. That those who aren't in our religious gatherings, that we would go and find them. Because 
I think unintentionally what we've done is we've said to people, come to where we are. And Jesus is saying, let's go to where they are. And so in 2024, 2024, Revive Church will be launching an expression of our church in in Cape Town City Center. We're going to sit around some new tables. We're going to get to know some new people. And we're going to bring the love and the grace of God to people who are not living in our immediate area. We will still have services here, but we're going to do something new in the city center. We're going to start small and believe big. We're going to start with groups in the city. And we're, our, our hope and desire is that from these groups, we're going to launch monthly services by September next year. In fact, we're thinking about an Easter pop-up service. Would that be a good idea? I don't know. A pop-up service in the city? Okay. And so that's where we're trusting God for. Roxy's actually going to be leading that expression of our church community <laughs> alongside her husband, Derek. They're going to go out and they're going to start groups. And we're going to meet people. And we're going to create new groups and new tables, new friendships, and invite people to a new relationship with Jesus building a community of God in that area. We're also going to be uh, trying to figure out how to sort out a studio so that we can advance the proclamation of the gospel in our city as well, so that we can put content out there, sermons out there, messages out there that everyone will get on their phone. Why? Because your phone is now a discipleship tool. Did you know that? Your Your phone is, let's get it away from being a tool of distraction to a tool of discipleship that we can preach new messages that could reach new people and create discipleship resources so that you can be discipled not just once a week, but you can be discipled every day of the week, pointing people to relationship. I know I'm speaking long and our band can come up, but that's really what, what 2024 is like. As Revive Church, we, are, we see the need and we want to be a part of the answer. And if you want to be a part of our Cape Town City congregation, then we ask you that you fill out a connect card, connection card on your seat today. And we're going to already start gathering with that group of people so that we can get ready because from the new year, we're starting with new groups. Am I right? Anybody keen for that? (laughs) To close off the service, There's two things that you can do. One, you can be a part of it. Put down your name on a connection card. Become a part of it. Pray into it. And we're also, uh, our annual miracle offering will happen on the 26th or 27th of November, the last Sunday of November, where we're going to gather together. We're going to say, God, this is what we want to do. Can we as a community resource the work to do it? Because it's expensive. But whatever you ask God to do, that's cool. God says, don't do anything, don't do anything. If God says, do something, do something. But we're going to take that time at the end of the year to say, God, we want to see this amazing work resourced. Church, I end. (laughs) Conclusion number seven. I end with this. That 
while what we have is amazing, while the gathering of the saints is amazing, while what we come to experience in services and in groups is amazing. I mean, the worship we had today was just life-changing. It was just bringing us back. It's all about Jesus. But Jesus is crying out to the church to say, could you go beyond the walls that you worship in to bring new worshipers in? And as a church, we want to be that kind of people. We want to be the kind of people that goes outside of our walls, outside of our neighborhoods, outside of our homes, outside of our comforts. That in fact, what we are is a people who are committed to the work of God because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we don't want to be known for how many people can sit in our building. We want to be known in heaven by how many people we send out of our building in order to bring people to know Jesus. Because that's how I got here. That's how we all did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your generosity and kindness, God. Lord, there's no one like you. And right now, Father, we want to worship you and thank you for all that you have done. Lord, I pray that that as a church, that that it's not just when we want to clap and send you along. No. But that we would say, we want to be at the table. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. I don't want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus whose heart doesn't break for lost people. Forgive me for a hard heart, Lord. Help us to do what you're calling us to do because without you it's impossible. Father, I pray that for each person here, I pray that they would know you more. I pray that they would experience you more. And I pray that you would fill them with grace and grow them to maturity and help them. But Father, I pray that you would help us to meet our friends and family who don't know you and that we would be like a sign to them, pointing them, 